In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. When I look at my bookcase, I see many titles ranging from poster art of the Disney parks and the color of Pixar to the Walt Disney Film Archives. These titles and many others span genres like art and architecture to biography and social sciences. A few are fiction, though many focus on the history and evolution of the company. And yet there are times when I ask myself why so many fascinating subjects have yet to be unraveled in depth, or even at all, across existent work, especially when there has been a pl- proliferation of books published in recent years. So this served as the spark for a conversation on Notably Disney, determining what books should be written. And we're going to explore that very topic with Book of the Mouse Club podcast hosts, Emily McDermott and Courtney Guth. I'm bringing back the Sorcerer's Hat series here on Notably Disney as my guests and I imagine possibilities for the Walt Disney Company. And on this edition, we'll be discussing Disney books that should be written across a multitude of categories. Now, this conversation, like many others, ended up being very substantive and lengthy. And so you will find our picks across two episodes. For this first part, we will cover three categories of books, and the second part will encompass another three categories. So let's get into that conversation. Countless Disney books have been published over the years, though have you ever wondered to yourself, why hasn't a book about insert subject here debuted? Well, joining me to talk about this magical idea thinking session of sorts are Emily McDermott and Courtney Guth, hosts of the Book of the Mouse Club podcast who I would view as two perfect people for brainstorming about books, given the notion of their show. And you'll certainly remember them um, from many past episodes of Notably Disney, including our fun-filled recollection of the Disney sing-along songs series um, and being uh, quite proficient in uh, tunes and quotes trivia. So today we're gonna be putting on our sorcerer's hats as we discuss 
Disney books that should be written. So thank you for being here today, Emily and Courtney. Thank you so much for having us. We are glad to be book buddies with you. It's always a pleasure uh, to join you and dive deep into these. So thank you so much for having us back. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for bringing us together this morning, Brett. My pleasure. Well, we have a lot to cover, which is uh, probably one of the the most common things that I say when I talk with uh, really fascinating people who have a lot of really useful insights to share. And I know this is um, definitely in the mix because we're going to be covering a variety of genres. So as we begin, I'll just mention to listeners um, that I had only shared with Emily and Courtney some basic ground rules for this brainstorming session. So what our, what our plan was, was to identify one topic each for each of six categories. So I'm gonna list them all out now. So first to think of an autobiography or biography of someone who has, or some people perhaps, who have worked for or been associated with the Walt Disney Company. So if there's been a memoir that came out like Julie Andrews wrote, has written some that would be out of the mix. We know a lot about Julie, we love Julie, but Julie's been covered. Um, Second would be the topic of the theme parks and resorts. Very encompassing, thinking about it could be an entire resort or property, it could be specific attractions or elements of the parks, anything really within that umbrella fair game. Third, film and television, uh, perhaps an individual project or a whole series, um, just to mention a few examples. Fourth, music. Uh, this kind of makes sense given that here on Notably Disney, we talk about music, but however you'd like to deconstruct the notion of music, could be about songs, scores, performers, anything within that space. Fifth is mausoleneous, um, which is not an original term. If you're a Disney person, you know that this has been used in many contexts, but this is meant as kind of a catch-all of maybe something that isn't quite encapsulated in another category, or maybe it could be something else that fits, but is kind of approaching it from a distinct lens. So this is really totally um, up to however we interpret it. And then considering that we've covered strictly nonfiction so far, presumably, um, we need to give some attention to fiction. Um, And I am not quite as adept on the fiction front, I must admit, Um, but that is one of the strengths of Book of the Mouse Club for sure in uh, in, in really highlighting some uh, recent fictional titles as well. Now, when I'm saying fictional series, this might be a little bit harder because there is a ton of Disney fiction for the youngest ones to teenagers, even for adults. Um, So you might want to think about this from the standpoint of uh, a series that might appeal to any demographic or even a specific demographic based on the characters or worlds from Disney. Um, So uh, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot out there. So maybe thinking about that from a distinct um, perspective or set of characters that never get their fair share of attention. So uh, asked Emily and Courtney that we keep our selections private. So there's a lot of discovery happening on today. Um, so that was, that's kind of the framework. Uh, and I'd like to, before we get started into our selections, I, I, I am curious, Courtney and Emily, how would you describe your Disney book reading habits and how you just stay adept in finding out about both new titles that emerge and also uh, legacy titles of sorts. I think for both of us, social media is a tremendous tool following. Um, we follow Disney books 
Uh, we follow a bunch of publishers. Chronicle Books has been a great source. Um, some other friends of ours keep us informed. Uh, it's been great having some followers that when they find a book, they tag us. Um, and that's really brought us uh, a lot of books that we've put onto our show. Yeah, I think there's so much, as you said, that's coming out. Um, it almost feels like we could plan years in advance on our show. We try to plan about two to three months at a time. Um, sometimes I like to tie in different anniversaries if I can plug a little something that I know is special to you too because we've talked about your love of this film uh for our September episode we will be doing the princess diaries because that film uh turned 20 years old and we were young adults reading that book uh when it came out so special place in our hearts to explore so thinking like oh yeah that movie's coming out or that movie is celebrating an anniversary well there was a beloved book that's tied into it. So trying to stay on top of new things, but also revisiting old favorites as well. Very good. And in honor of that amazing film, thank you for being here today. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm very glad. And uh, for those of you who are just listening and you can't see this, we're all doing that famous motion with the hands. Very, very regal and royal. Uh, very good. Thank you. Well, I'm also wondering because this was kind of a big task that I laid out here in terms of identifying selections across six categories requires knowing what has been published or at least doing some uh, a deep dive into um, potential topics. What approaches did each of you take in determining your selections for this discussion? Of course, you don't have to reveal um, at this point what you selected, but how, how did you go about that when I presented this task? I kind of tried to just go with my gut in most places and then, you know, make sure it's not <laughs> something that has already been published. Some categories were definitely easier for me than others. And I had to like really think uh, there was some Googling involved <laughs> just starting maybe with that broad topic and being like, what strikes my fancy if I didn't have like an immediate reaction to something? <laughs> I really like that you gave us a list. Um, so giving us those topics to think about, because um, I had a couple when you first threw this idea out to us that I was like, oh, I thought about this and this. Uh, but beyond like those two that I thought of, I was like, there's just so much. So having that itemized, just like our six categories kind of helped me focus a little bit of my thinking. Um, and then I kind of stared at my bookshelf for a while to see like, what do I already have? And while Courtney and I have read a lot for Book of the Mouse Club, um, we haven't covered everything and there's so many books out there, but that kind of helps ground me in like, what did I remember from reading in the past? Maybe what was something I wanted to um, explore more about? Or was there a type of book that I really liked and that kind of sparked my imagination to um, some of the selections that I picked of there were genres or ways books were written that I really enjoyed. So I'd like to see more of those. Uh, so that kind of helped me as well. Yeah, it sounds like a, a lot of different approaches. Um, or what handled. about you, Brett? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Why not flip the question back on me? Sure. Yeah, I think for me, one of the challenges was thinking about broad genres because, um, like I said at the onset, my lens is primarily from the nonfiction standpoint. But I wanted to make sure that we um, gave fair share of attention to nonfiction. But in terms of in terms of nonfiction, right? So. 
if I look at my own bookcase, I will see a ton of art books, which could be its own genre, but we know art encompasses could be film and parks and um, television, so many different spheres, um, even along the lines of um, just how I mentioned um, one of the main categories that we will cover is autobiographies and biographies, because we are seeing um, certainly uh, more recently individual imagineers in particular get a lot of um, well-deserving attention toward the, you know, their careers. So I, I knew that was going to be essential, but I ultimately was like art, well, art may be inherent in, in anything. So um, it was a little tricky in terms of coming up with the categories. And then as far as the specific selections, um, I ended up taking a few out once I realized, oh my gosh, there actually is a book now on this topic. And, um, and I actually have to um, give both of you some credit for that because uh, one of your recent episodes focused on um, the, the notion of voice artists within um, Disney films and, and the, in the parks. And that was a topic that I'm like, oh, I mean, I know there's been a little bit of that covered and certainly um, that, that book uh, recently um, was debuting. So, you know, new stuff is emerging all the time that reflect these really niche interests. And so it requires all of us as book connoisseurs to be um, really um, facile and just knowing like, okay, um, I, I, I need to adjust my selections because cool stuff is emerging around every corner. Um, and also too, I'll mention to folks, um, Didier Getz, um, who is a very legendary Disney author who all of us are probably familiar with, has an amazing website um, that catalogs practically every Disney book that's been published, not always the, the independent ones, although um, those often find their way on there too, um, but it's very comprehensive and that's a great resource for folks um, if they're curious about um, any particular topics. So I found that to be helpful as, um, as a source of sorts um, to complement my own individual efforts in determining, okay, has something already been published on a topic? So long-winded answer, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it's, it's not an easy endeavor to think of what could be because already there is a lot out there but we know that, you know, as long as there's imagination left in the world, and there's certainly a lot of ideas that all of us have in store for today. Well, um, what I would like to, to say as we proceed is um, we're going to discuss our selections based on those different genres, kind of approach it however you'd like. Um, we'll talk about why we selected the topic, um, maybe even subtopics that be, could be covered within the book, if you have any of those thoughts, um, maybe even ideas as far as who would be the ideal author or authors of the book. Does, we don't have to do that, but if there's someone who comes to mind, it'd be great to share why. And, and also too, why does the topic resonate with us? Um, there's a lot of different directions we can take this with, but um, I know knowing both of you, you're very thorough and, and diligent in terms of giving perspective to, to why, um, why books matter and in what ways and, and how so, and what are the, the implications of that. So. Well, we'll begin. Well, let me ask first, are we all ready? I know we're excited, but are we ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Well, let's kick it off with the notion of autobiographies or biographies. Again, the notion is someone who has worked for or been associated with Disney over the years, but there's not a whole lot written about them. Um, so this is totally up to us in terms of who we feel would be deserving of a book written about them. Or, or the author to write a book about um, just about their own lives. Um, so 
Courtney or Emily, would one of you like to start us off? Kick us off. Uh, I decided that a biography of Lillian Disney and her daughters would be really nice. And I was surprised to find that there wasn't one because I feel like we've certainly had her and her daughters as well contextualized in relation to works about Walt and his biographies. But I feel like there's probably more to learn. I'd love to know about Diane and Sharon as well. And, you know, their life after their father and Lillian's husband passed. Uh, This idea came to me because recently there was a Twitter thread in the Disney community where people were shocked to learn that Lillian remarried shortly after Walt's death. A lot of people were like, mind blown. You know, she was present uh, for the opening of Walt Disney World. I believe she lived into the 1980s. So I'm not sure how easy this book <laughs> would be to write, uh, like how, how much information there is. This is why I thought, well, it would be great to have Diane and Sharon as well. Um, I was fortunate enough in the very beginning of March of 2020 uh, before everything happened, uh, like a week before, to go to Napa, California, and we visited the Silverado Vineyards, which was owned by Diane Disney Miller and Ron Miller, and they have since uh, unfortunately passed, but that's still in the family uh, and run by their children and grandchildren, so would be cool to tie in, you know, maybe that story, why they wanted to get into the wine business. I feel like there's, there's lots to explore beyond just their immediate last name. I really like that idea um, because I think they would offer such a different perspective too of how this company grew and how that affected their lives. Um, And they saw it from a totally different lens of Walt's coming home um, or being kids themselves in the park um, or what they saw more on the outside. Because while they did spend a lot of time at the studio, they kind of had that like normal life, like going to the grocery store, going to school, like what were they hearing um, from friends and family, um, people around them as Walt Disney Company is growing. Um, That is surprising. Oh, there's not much out there about Lily. And I would love that. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, I'd have to agree. And, you know, I was thinking too, just the notion of the Walt Disney Family Museum, which really was driven by um, Diane Disney Miller and Ron Miller. And, and certainly there's been some um, content um, that illustrates the evolution of that. Um, just beautiful and immersive museum. And I think that'd be an interesting uh, capstone of sorts to, to the book that you described there, Courtney, um, because ultimately Ron recently passed away and it was kind of an end of an era um, with, with his passing too. Um, but yet this museum lives on and is a real testament to the trials and tribulations and, and triumphs of, of Walt. But because of the, because it is family in the title, we, we do learn more about Lillian and Sharon and, and Diane and all of them. So yeah, I think that's I struggled, be- beautiful. Thank you. I struggled to think of an author for a lot of these. So that wasn't my main focus, but when you said Walt Disney Family Museum, I think Jeff Curdy would be a great one for this because he is deeply tied to the roots of that museum and um, has had a lot of access. Uh, I think of his travels with Walt Book, like the different family photos would be a great accompaniment to this text. And maybe a foreword from Bob Thomas. I don't know that Bob Thomas is still alive. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Jeff would be a, a good good choice there. Well, that would be a fascinating book. I, I didn't ask each of you this before we began, but are there potential titles that you have in mind with your books? 
And if not, I, that's totally okay. But... I did not go that deep. Okay. <laughs> no, no um, that was, I was still just trying to get a topic <laughs> for some of these. No worries. Well, I think that's a, a nice start there, Courtney. Emily, what, what do you have in mind? Um, so like I said, I kind of sat in front of my bookshelf and reminisced on some past episodes. And I really enjoyed the one we did together on Book Math Club talking about uh, Magic Journey from Kevin Rafferty. And then that reminded me of when we read It's Kind of Cute Story by Jeff Heimbuck. And I really like those Imagineer uh, biographies. And I like how both of them are autobiographical, even though Jeff Heimbuck did those interviews, he published them. It's Raleigh Crump's own words. Um, so I thought it'd be cool to get one from Joe Rohde. Um, he recently retired. I love following his social media. He posts such interesting things of what he has found in his travels that inspired him, um, lots of things he's learned over his career. And I think it'd be cool to get a book from him. I like that idea a lot. I definitely plug his Instagram because he'll just, to, uh, the one that comes to my mind is the deep lore of Dinoland USA uh, at Aunt Disney's Animal Kingdom and Chester and Hester the carnival part is a little uh you know doesn't doesn't get a lot of love online but he basically posted a deep thesis of the lore of that area and gave me a better appreciation for it so getting those insights uh from such a wide-ranging career of course Animal Kingdom is a huge part, but he worked on Alani. He dates back to the opening of Epcot. So uh, definitely a lot of cool stories there. Great idea. Emily, would there be a chapter on Joe Brody's earrings? Oh yeah, that would be cool. That could be like the theme that takes you through it. Like what, what each which earring. charm on which part of your earring represents. Oh. But yeah, so I really enjoyed those Imagineer stories that we read. And I feel like how Kev Rafferty was really funny. Like we had laugh out loud moments. I feel like with his distinct style as well, like you'd really get to know Joe Rohde from, from his book if he wrote it himself. So I would go autobiography route on this one. Or if someone wanted to do a series of interviews and then do it the way like Jeff did. And it's kind of a cute story with Raleigh Crump. But I think definitely Joe Rohde's voice would have to come through. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, I feel like I had seen Joe Rohde over the years via different specials on the Travel Channel that covered Animal Kingdom and some of the other parks, but, and I'm sure all of us are familiar with the Imagineering story on Disney Plus, and that was nice because it gave, I think, more general audiences perspective into just the rich travels he engaged in, um, particularly in the 90s, to serve as the inspiration for Animal Kingdom. So it'd be wonderful to learn more about that from from the person himself. Awesome. What was your pick? <laughs> we both said it at the same time. <laughs> so this was this was a little challenging um, because, like we've all discussed, there have already been a good number of autobiographies and biographies on different Imagineers and, and famous figures, and I wanted to uh, think about voice talent in particular. Um, and so in light of um, the debut of, of the, the recent book that you covered, I'm thinking, oh, you know, um, does this upend what my, note, my, what my plans are? And I'm like, no, no. So here's, here's the title and pitch. When Mice Fall in Love, celebrating, celebrating the romance and relationship of Wayne Allwine and Lucy Taylor, Mickey and Minnie Mouse's vocal talent. Oh, so, I love that. 
certainly both of these folks have now since passed, um, which is um, really unfortunate. Wayne, of course, voiced Mickey for 32 years, Minnie for 33 years. Um, they were very prolific outside of voicing these famous mice. Um, uh, Rusi, for instance, uh, voiced characters on DuckTales and many others. These folks were named as Disney legends uh, because of their really substantive work, not only in terms of the cartoons, but also in the theme parks and merchandise and video games and so many spheres. Um, you can still hear them um, in many places, even though they now have new um, vocal talent. I just love the notion of that they were married and that they just fell in love, even though they were you know, a bit older. And it's just a, a beautiful story that really hasn't been told. You can find interviews of them um, online um, where they talk a little bit about their their romance and, and ultimately the career that they shared together, but nothing super in depth. And I'm just fascinated by the notion of what it must be like to be the people behind the most iconic characters in, in the Disney universe, I would, I would argue. Um, and it's just, it's a story that should be told. And so I, I, I'm touched by that. And uh, in terms of an ideal writer or author, um, one person who came to mind is Leonard Maltin, who of course uh, wrote the Disney films book and is a famous uh, historian of film. Those of you who may remember the Walt Disney Treasures DVD series know that uh, Leonard conducted interviews with uh, many of the um, animators and vocal talent of, of these characters. And um, so he's, I think he would be, bring a really thoughtful and authentic voice to, to telling uh, Wayne and Rusi's story. So, Yeah, I'm a big fan of those treasure discs and I'm thinking on their legacy, uh, you know, looking back on we're around the same age growing up they were the voices of Mickey and Minnie for our generation and really just up until very recently uh did that change so a lot to cover there great pick well uh so we so we have definitely a variety of, of selections here in terms of autobiographies biographies so again a roundup so Lillian Disney, Sharon Disney, and Diane Disney Miller for Courtney. So for Emily uh, selected, uh, Joe Rohde, and for me, Rusi Taylor and Wayne Allwine. Alrighty, so we're gonna now shift to a uh, physical space uh, in terms of the Disney theme parks and resorts. As I mentioned, it could be really anything within the sphere. Um, the parks have been well covered, of course, but there are still other uh, areas to examine. So. Who would like to start off this round? Um, I can kick off. Um, so this is one that before you gave us the list that popped in my head immediately. And I was really excited uh, when you said theme parks. Yes, I know exactly what I would talk about. I would love a book on Club 33. Um, I think as readers, as Disney fans, we like having those access to those like behind the scenes or restricted or exclusive spaces. And you vaguely know what Club 33 is. You know it's this exclusive club for particular members. Uh, they have restaurants and spaces around the different theme parks. But other than that, hearing more about like what started it, maybe who's been some famous members, what do these spaces physically look like, maybe before and after? Um, I just think people love, like people love uh, looking at uh, the Cinderella Castle Suite. It's an exclusive space that not everyone gets to go to. 
And anytime someone's like, here's pictures, everyone goes right into it or wants to know who stayed there. Um, so I think having, I would love to know more about it. I think it'd be really fun. Yeah, I think there's a lot to explore there because certainly there's a rich history just in Disneyland alone, but it has expanded so much. Uh, you know, Shanghai Disney opened with once you have an international segment and then it's been awesome to see the I mean I've never been in there but a lot of buzz about when it expanded to Walt Disney World and where those locations were were going to be so I really like that I could also envision like a whole photo gallery of all the famous faces of people who have spent time there and if that's been captured um, via photographs that would be a nice uh, accompaniment of sorts or thinking about just how many business decisions or ideas um, from even Imagineers talking about like they had lunch one day with Walt or with someone else at Club 33. Like what are some of those stories um, that brought them together there or things they talked about that then became reality in the parks? I think there could be a lot of fun storytelling too, even from non-members who just got to experience or go there, um, what their experiences was like. Sounds like there could be just a lot of like anecdotes scattered throughout the book that chronicle people's uh, unique memories there. And even, was it Kevin Rafferty when we read his book? He got to do a little bit of work up there. So he can uh, launch us off. Maybe he can write the foreword. Mm, that's awesome. What about you, Brett? Let's go to you. Yeah, this was this was actually really hard for me. And I want to do something that was like super quirky, but... Um, but I haven't really seen in a book. So uh, my pitch is look up, down, under, and over, pointing out Disney signs. So the notion of signage as a topic, and you might be thinking, well, that's maybe really, really too niche. Well, you know what? If Dave Bossert can write a book about Disney furniture through Ken Weber and uh, the importance of, of that, I think um, anything is, is fair game. Uh, yeah, I, I just love the notion. I've always been interested in, in signage as a, as a topic and thinking about design and font and texture and all the different materials that account for just a physical sign, but also how signs serve from the standpoint of informing, helping people navigate spaces. So I could see it encompassing everything from when you're driving around or riding in a vehicle around Walt Disney World and the unique signage there in terms of the colors and um, and, and the role of that to when you're within a theme park space and just like really cool visceral signs that give perspective and to the attraction at hand. So the, the eeriness of alien encounter in terms of that like um, slimy font of sorts um, to um, just the um, real authenticity of, uh, of the Jungle Cruise. Um, signage is, is really important in kind of starting the story. And I feel like there could be trivia it could be a photo journey where there's a whole collection of images of signs in, in a common space, even, uh, even restroom signs, right? Sometimes there are variations there to illustrate the land that you are encompassed in. That's uh, immediately where my mind went. I was like, you could just do restroom signs alone because they're so well-themed. I think um, I had done a Disney College program at Space Mountain and there's restrooms right near there and they made pins of those restroom signs uh, both the male and female little robot restroom things it was like I need to trade for these pins they're in the hidden Mickey ones so you couldn't buy them and I was so happy when I found them I'm like what a, what a little nerd am I 
But I think signage, um, while there might not be a book, like how many podcasts have talked about have talked about signs? I know the thirty twenty eight has done episodes on different signage. Um, there's de every, graphic designers out there look to this, um, and even just Disney fans. Uh, I would love this as an art book of photographs of different signs. Or it'd be cool to see like the Tomorrowland sign has changed a few times. Like seeing that progression of how signage has changed too be pretty cool I'd like fan. to play guess the sign I remember this from god I loved Disney magazine RIP the best like spent many a car ride in the back seat flipping through that magazine I think even before I could like fully read um and I remember there was a series maybe towards the end of its publication where they were doing like a aware in the world and it was those very close in details there was, of course, an answer key a few pages later. But it'd be fun if the book had like a little little game like that. Like, ooh, where's this sign from? Or I was also thinking concept art. Um, all of this signage had to start somewhere. Um, we think about concept art all the time for the films, but also for like the big attractions in theme parks, like castles. But there's concept art for even, I'm sure, signs. I'd love to see some of that come through or hear from uh, those designers and imagineers that maybe we don't hear from a lot. We hear from Joe Rohde and Tony Baxter and Kevin Rafferty. Um, but who put the sign together? Who decided what fonts, what colors, what textures? I think that's a really cool idea, Brett. I like it. Thanks. Yeah. And even thinking about this from an international perspective outside of the U.S. and how many attractions in, in the um, non-U.S. parks have signs in you know multiple languages and how that is um, often is an important tool. Even um, thinking about signage for folks with disabilities and how um, you know even just use of braille for signs and how that is um, and, and navigating spaces is just vital. So it really encompasses a lot of different spheres. Love the idea of the the guess this sign, um, Courtney. That would be fun. And um, yeah, I mean, we're, I think we're illustrating that every every facet in a park tells a story and signs are, are an important, albeit un, uh, sometimes forgettable part, but uh, we all love signs apparently. So that's great. To me, that's the Disney difference is that it's all in the details. Mm -hmm. Courtney, do you want to round us up? Yeah, I can go to my details. So I bet you thought I was going to pick Space Mountain, but I didn't because that would be too obvious. Uh, anyone who's listened to our podcast, or as I just revealed, uh, knows my affinity and connection to Space Mountain, but I believe that has been covered in the Disney Mountains Imagineering at its peak by Jason Sorrell. Have unfortunately not been able to get my hands on this book. It is out of print. It is like close to $100 anywhere used. If you're selling one for not a very expensive price, hit me up sometime out to your listeners. I would love to read that and dive more into Space Mountain, but because I feel like that was heavily profiled uh, in that book, I'm assuming it's it's on the cover. Uh, I said that I would really like a deep dive into the Disney resorts. Uh, I think Walt Disney World especially has a lot to offer with over 30 options across the property, but this could of course be expanded to include Disneyland's three resorts as well as the international properties. And there are much like your signs, there are so many unique stories behind each resort and the hidden details there. And I love the Imagineering type books that go deeper into things like Jason Sorrell's The Haunted Mansion or Pirates of the Caribbean. I think, I guess Jason Sorrell has to do this. I'm signing him up for that because he's good at these park-related deep dives. Uh, I picture it like those as like a fun coffee 
table size book highlighting facts and photography of each resort and perhaps even going into some of those that were never built like the Venetian resort or the Persian that were supposed to be part of the Seven Seas Lagoon area. Uh, I feel like this is especially timely with the upcoming launch of the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. We've started to get more details about that experience on the horizon. Um, and that was recently tied into the Disneyland Hotel episode of Behind the Attractions. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to watch that. They just dropped in the week that we're recording this, uh, but really kind of like profiled start with Disneyland Hotel, but goes into Star Wars as like the next generation of resort experiences. So I don't know, I, I just have an affinity for the resorts, I think, because I grew up visiting, my family joined the Disney Vacation Club in 1994. My Disney college program was in 2014. So for 20 years, the resorts were a big part of my vacation because we came annually, you know, we'd pop into the park, but really take the time to relax at those resorts, enjoy the beautiful pool, like at the yacht and, and beach club. So I think they're, they're an important part of a stay at Walt Disney World, but I also appreciate them at our other destinations as well. I know that that's a great pick for you because of how much you love going to the resorts, but I think just for a general audience, not recognizing how many resorts there actually are, I think, um, for more casual Disney fans or those, if you're planning uh, route of your first Walt Disney World trip, you might only know of the Grand Floridian, Polynesian, and Contemporary, but there are so many, particularly those moderate resorts, I don't think they get a lot of like time uh, on social media or uh, get advertised as much or seen as much uh, in Disney advertisements and ads and television and they're beautiful and have so much to offer. Um, so yeah, I like that. I think that's I really, fun. I want to know what, why they picked certain movies for all-star movie resorts. Like there's a whole oh, Mighty Ducks cool. themed area there. I mean, we're getting a Mighty Ducks resurgence, but you think like, oh, like you've got Fantasia, 101 Dalmatians, Toy Story, and the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> yeah, that is curious. I mean, I guess I think with all of those in a sense, like being real brands and franchises, but like the love bug, right? That hadn't been popular for 15 years or so, um, at least with new new releases under the Herbie brand. So that was a kind of an interesting uh, selection there. I also think like, so, like, and you, I mean, having been to the resorts for so many years, Courtney, I can imagine that you've seen such an evolution in terms of um, architecture and in certain spaces if there have been additions or new restaurants or landscaping even so I think like per your idea maybe there could be a component that focuses on just the evolution of particular resorts yeah just thinking in the seven years that I've lived in Orlando in that time Disney has added the Coronado Tower expansion uh, to Disney's Coronado Springs and the Riviera Resort opened on a plot of land that was part of a Caribbean beach resort. So just a lot of change in the past few years. And like I said, there's some really cool stuff coming. Yeah. I also love your attention to the, the resorts outside of Walt Disney World too. Like the Grand Californian at, out of Disneyland is it's just absolutely magnificent. And there's such ridiculous levels of detail inherent and even just like at the front desk and um, references to particular animals that are native to California um, in the, the artwork and carvings. It's just beautiful. And I think people would be surprised to learn that Disneyland Paris has twice as many resorts as Disneyland itself does. There's uh, a lot of interesting architecture 
and detail overseas there for sure. Great. Well, let's uh, proceed to our next topic. Uh, so film and television. Um, so really anything in that sphere um, and knowing that I think the boundaries have also changed over time in terms of what is television now that we have streaming services too. So that could be fair game. Well, we've uh, done ladies first. So I think you should get to go first okay. on this one. <laughs> That's very uh, equitable rounding of that. So each person will have the opportunity to start it off twice. Uh, so, so my pick um, is not about a television series, but rather a television network or rather the Disney Channel, the history of the Disney Channel, Mouse in the Tube, the history of Disney Channel at 40 years, because we are a couple of years shy of the network turning 40, which is hard to believe because um, all of us grew up on the Disney Channel, maybe not during its first couple of years, but um, we sure know its history. Um, I kind of envision this as a more serious in tone type of book, um, maybe a little bit more academic in nature, but also I think could be for um, general audiences. I envision this as um, maybe not as much uh, visual based so much as like just a, a real thorough chronicle of how the network came to be during a very turbulent period in the history of Disney um, in the early 80s when, gosh, I mean, it's the theme park division was bleeding because of um, Epcot and um, and just dealing with a lot of difficulties there. Film wasn't doing so hot either, um, but um, through folks like Ron Miller um, and others, Disney found a new avenue to, to reach different audiences. Um, and 1983, yeah, I saw the launch of the Disney Channel and a lot of original programming at the time, as well as um, finding a space for the cartoons of many decades past and the films. Um, and I could see this book focusing on um, everything from the Disney child stars that um, have uh, either remained successful or maybe are has-beens, um, could look at the DCOMs and how some of them became absolute phenomenon. Uh, Walt Disney Television Animation, um, because that's been an inherent part of the network as well maybe some concepts that never took off uh, and even programming blocks. Like I remember being a kid of the late nineties and loving Vault Disney and Zoog Disney um, among others. Uh, so I think it could really focus on all the different pieces of, of, uh, of building the network, dealing with changes. And I think um, there would have to be interviews with folks like Ann Sweeney, who was the president of Disney Channel, Gary Marsh, um, also uh, a major force at Disney Channel. So some of the leaders in there, um, but uh, I think Bill Cotter, who is an author known for writing the wonderful world of uh, Disney television from the late nineties would be a, an excellent um, choice here. But um, yeah, I, I'd be excited to learn more about Disney Channel as an entity. It's been covered in little pieces um, in different spaces, but. Uh, I would love it all to be in one compendium and um, to know about just uh, a network that was at first a premium cable channel and um, had a lot of rebranding, especially in later in the 90s and, and is a constant presence in, in millions of children's lives all around the world too. You are preaching to the choir here. Uh, your listeners couldn't see, but I was like, shaking my hands emphatically when you mentioned Vault Disney and Zoog Disney of the early 90s.com was my girl. I loved her. Uh, definitely so many fond memories. I grew up uh, 
we had a two household uh, family that did, but my parents get along fine. We don't need to go into all of that. But at my dad's house, we had Disney Channel and I was at my dad's on the weekends and he would let me stay up late and watch Walt Disney. And I, I cherish a lot of those memories that I think are the foundation, probably much like you, like our love of the Disney history can probably be credited to that. So I, I picture this as a very large book because there is so much to cover, but I would read every single page of it. I think with the DCOMs, that's a section I would love because now that we have Disney Plus, um, I know like we're going back to uh, Disney Channel movies that we loved, but I think there's new uh, generations that are going back to watching like what is Smart House, Brink, Alley Cat, Strike, <laughs> some of those that those are some of my favorites. Um, whereas it's like High School Musical is kind of like the dividing line, I think, on like generations of like we all watched High School Musical, but then do you remember anything before High School Musical or have you only watched stuff after High School Musical? Um, that would be my, that would be a chapter I would really dive into, I think the most. But yeah, there's lots of cool stuff. And I know, uh, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. And I love how many people are really going back into Disney Channel. And I'm glad some of it's coming up on Disney Plus now so we can all revisit those. Or watch ones that like, I've always heard of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Is that what it is? I don't remember watching it, but I hear about it all the time. So I'm excited that it's now on Disney Plus that I can watch a few episodes and have that context when I hear about it on other podcasts. And that show is such a treasure too, Emily, because it was one of the few like Disney Channel series that I can think of that was actually filmed at Disney MGM Studios in the early mid 90s. So, and there were actually video appearances. I'm not sure if you all remember this um, in the global neighborhood section of Spaceship Earth when you'd come out and there'd be an an Adventures in Wonderland uh, video um, exhibit of sorts where you could interact with the characters. That's my fever dream. That's my fever. I told Emily about this. What? The other day is Emily's like, oh, I, we were texting about it. And she's like, oh, I want to watch that Alice in Wonderland show. I was like, oh my gosh, like I have, like you need to think back. Like, was this a childhood fever dream about an Alice in Wonderland show? And I am, I am in Epcot. I have exited Spaceship Earth and I'm sitting on a little bench watching this show. And I, I don't, I think by the time my family got Disney Channel, it wasn't really being shown frequently, but I have this memory of seeing it at Epcot. So thank you for confirming that I am not in fact crazy. And that was a thing. Yeah. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, there's some, there's a few videos of it on YouTube as well. Um, that, that specific section. So I might bring back, um, some other memories. So I think there, yeah, there might, per what you're saying there, Emily, like there might need to be a whole book on the DCOMs because that, I mean, it's fascinating. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, Brett. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Two of us haven't shared yet. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's turn it over to who wants to go next. Well, my GCOMs are in a different category if I'm going to tip my hand a little bit, but we'll hold on that. Um, I I broke the rules a little bit here because this was actually the one that I got so excited about first and it turns out there is a book coming in 2022 but I'm still excited about it so if that's okay I would like to share it and we can just be excited about this book allegedly coming next year and I think it's a perfect springboard from what we were talking about a big part of the Disney Channel was the Disney afternoon block of programming which was a staple in the late 80s 
and early 90s with shows like DuckTales, Tailspin, Darkwing Duck, uh, Gummy Bears. Um, I just feel like this was a really unique time in animation among studios, certainly Disney and then Nickelodeon at the same time, tapping into children's programming specifically with the rise of cable television. So there's probably a lot to chronicle here among artists and animators who contributed to these shows. And I feel like nostalgia for these programs is definitely high. We've seen merchandise uh, released with uh, these characters on it over at the Disney Style Store in Disney Springs and on Shop Disney. Uh, I believe D23 hosted a special event tied specifically to this at the Burbank Studio lot and then Disneyland leaning into like 80s and 90s themed after hours events. Uh, so I was really excited. That was actually the first thing I came up with and then I Googled it and I found a book coming in 2022 called The Disney Afternoon, The Making of a Television Renaissance. So, you know, great minds think alike, but because it has not been published yet, I found it was still, still fair game. And that is by uh, Jake S. Friedman. That's exciting. I'm happy for you that that is coming. I'll put that aside for your birthday coming Ooh, next year. Go. 2022, that's a big birthday for me. I'm excited about, about the book too. I, um, I actually reached out to Jake and asked about the book because I was very excited about it. And he's like, oh, it keeps getting delayed. So it keeps getting pushed back, which is unfortunate um, because it, I'm, my, my supposition is that it's, um, it's pretty much ready. So, and it seems like there's been such a resurgence and in interest in, in this period because of you know, the newer version of DuckTales and, and Disney Plus and having access to some of those shows again. So I look future, I look forward to that future episode of Notably Disney, it sounds like. <laughs> Hopefully, I would love, it'd be great to have Jake on. And um, more importantly, like, let's get, let's see this book come to fruition. It's taking a long time. I remember first seeing it on Amazon, like under the pre-order or whatever, like a year or a year and a half ago. It's taking a long time. So you're, I think you're right on the money there, uh, Courtney. That I'm people clearly want a book. the core audience. Get <laughs> all the copies for you. All right, so I guess it's my turn. Um, this was one where I struggled a lot uh, with film and TV. I kept thinking of like things I want to see on TV and not like something in a book form. <laughs> Um, and then things I did think of after doing some Googling, they kind of exist. So at first I was like, oh, maybe like a whole, like complete history of the Mickey Mouse Club. There's actually a lot of information out there about the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, not, I don't think from official Disney publishing. So maybe that would be cool. Um, and then I was looking for like wonderful world of Disney that already exists. Um, so actually going off the cuff here, Brett, from what you just told me about, you know, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was filmed at MGM Studios. Why not a book about all of the different TV shows, films, animation that did come out of the MGM studio? Um, again, something that like we know it exists. We know that there was a studio there, but maybe we don't remember or know the whole breadth of things that came out of uh, the Florida studio um, in its short time. Uh, so I think that would be cool. That was off the cuff. Uh, that kind of inspired uh, from what you said there, because after saying that, like the fact that I did not know that that was filmed there, I think there's a lot of stuff out there that people might not realize came out of Florida. I like that a lot because I feel like that's such an iconic part of Disney's Hollywood Studios identity. Um, it's unfortunate that it has like moved beyond that, but for those who were fortunate enough to visit in that time frame, the the back lot tour was like a two and a half hour 
thing. You certainly had the tram ride, but then you were able to walk at your own pace and, and see shows in production. So that'd be really cool. Yeah, I dig the idea too. It makes me think even after like the, in the 90s, once there really weren't any more productions being filmed there, they still found opportunities to use the park as a platform for um, filming, like I would think like uh, Regis and Kelly, um, like episodes of, of the talk show or um, even some of the events like Super Soap Weekend. I mean, there were lots of live events that were uh, and projects that were filmed um, at the studios. Do you remember Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Play It by yes. chance? So yeah, yeah and, and they did they filmed episodes of it in the fake studio, but made it a real studio and, and Meredith was there. And um, I think that was just really uh, I love your pick, Emily. That's that's fantastic. Especially for thinking on the off the cuff there. I was inspired by you, Brett. So thanks for popping that in my head. Oh, no worries. Now, I'm sure you're on the edge of your seat wondering what our next selections will be. Well, I'll have to keep you guessing as Courtney, Emily, and I will continue our conversation and picks in the second part next time on Notably Disney. Stay tuned. And in the meantime, be sure to subscribe to Book of the Mouse Club on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Emily is on Twitter at Emily underscore McD. That's M-I-C-K-D-E. Whereas you can find Courtney via at Courtney underscore Guff. Book of the Mouse Club is at Book of the Mouse on Twitter. Um, And then on Instagram, you can follow Book of the Mouse Club at Book of the Mouse, Courtney at Great Gut Speed, love that, and Emily at Emily underscore McBee. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at Reports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N Reports and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.